what you do to one side, you have to do to the other. Does that make sense? I've been working with Elliot on her math worksheets in this new world of stay-at-home schooling. She's only in the second grade and yet, somehow, has already found her way into some pre-algebraic work. What you do to one side, you have to do to the other. Does that make sense? She looked at me with her head cocked, eyes squinty, and just shook her head. No. <laughs> okay, okay. Let's look at this again. It, it, it's all about balance. You're trying to balance each side like a teeter-totter. And if you pull five from this side, you have to pull five from this side. Otherwise, you create a catapult and send this five flying through the air. What you do to one side, you have to do to the other. Make sense? I remember sitting in Mrs. Corman's class for hours after school. I was, I was failing algebra miserably. And for hours, every day, she guided me through my homework. And this basic principle of algebra. What you do to one side, you have to do to the other. And I, I remember thinking then, just as I'm sure you all did too, when am I ever going to use this in life? What you do to one side, you have to do to the other. A couple of years ago, I got some great news. News that was going to change everything for how we were going to start this church. We had just pulled in an unbelievable partner, which not only brought about an amazing financial stability and support, but also a large and faithful amount of prayer and encouragement. It was an amazing moment, a, a true highlight in this career as a church planter. And as I sat in the wake of a tremendous win, I found myself up at all hours of the night having difficulty sleeping. Anxiety seemed to riddle my mind, and, and I couldn't help but tense up and wait for the other shoe to drop. I couldn't help but think, I don't deserve this, to recoil and wait for the bad to come and balance things out. What you do to one side, you have to do to the other. It's like gravity, right? What goes up must come down. And it's a horrible way to live. Waiting for the other shoe to drop, living on pins and needles, waiting for what you deserve even when you're not exactly sure what you deserve or why you deserve it or how the divine laws of justice and balance seem to work. It, it just seems so random, so arbitrary. But it does give us a sense of reason for the unreasonable, no matter how faulty that logic may seem, providing us with a sense of understanding how and why the world works in the way it does. That it's all about balance. The weight of your good versus the weight of your bad. And whatever happens to you, you deserved it. This mathematical principle is easy to buy into and misapply to life. It's divine karmic justice run amok. Ahmed Arbery, Brianna Taylor, John Crawford III, Eric Garner, Tamir Rice, Trayvon Martin. All across Facebook feeds, we read over and over and over, well, you must have deserved it. The senseless injustices of their deaths 
motivated by racial folklore and justifications motivated by a misapplied mathematical principle. It's whiteness run amok, doing what whiteness does, doling out its own ill-informed systems of divine justice. And while as a culture we've bought into this mathematical principle as reality, misapplying it to ourselves and others, allowing it to fester and operate under the surface, we have a Jesus who says, stop it. A Jesus who points us to a truer reality, a world in which this algebraic principle is just that, algebra. Not our true mode of operation as humans, as people. We have a Jesus who calls it out and reveals a God who is different than we have come to expect. I love this story in John 9 of Jesus healing the man born blind. It's a fascinating story because it opens up with this idea, this question of divine karmic justice. Now, Jesus had just slipped away from yet another attempt on his life by the mob of people in power, the religious establishment. And as he's walking along, he sees a man who was blind from birth. I think we should name him Henry. Now, some of you have asked me, why do you name the unnamed in these stories? Well, that's a good question. I, I do it because I want them to matter. I want to humanize them, to, to, bring, to bring them more to life for us, not as characters, but as people, because their stories are our stories too. And I think it's easy to keep these episodes in the Bible as stories or fables and not real events that happen to real people. And so the simple act of naming the unnamed brings them to life for us, and I think that's important because they're important. And, and so as Jesus slipped away from the mob, and as he was walking along, he saw Henry, the man born blind. And you can see the disciples whispering to one another in the background, talking about Henry, wondering about how he became blind. Whose fault was it? And so they asked, probably in hushed tones, hey, hey Jesus, who sinned? This guy or his parents? Who's at fault here? You can see them digging into Henry's story a bit, wondering about a family curse, the result of some unseemly sin his parents committed, now under the fist of divine retribution. Or maybe Henry committed some terrible sin in utero. Yeah, people actually believed that babies would commit sins as they were being born. Maybe he slapped the midwife on his way out. Or as others have suggested, was this the punishment for a sin he committed in a former life? Help us, Jesus. Help us understand how divine justice is meted out here. Now, now, being born blind wasn't a rare event in antiquity, which makes sense for why they were looking for a reasonable explanation for these seemingly random occurrences. And karmic justice brings balance, right? It gives us a sense of understanding for why things are the way that they are. So tell us, Jesus, what did he do to deserve this? And you know, Henry can hear their entire conversation, right? His ears peaked, his hearing on point. And he's heard these conversations so many times before in his life. As a kid, being teased and made fun of. Never quite being on the inside, but always on the outside looking in. People theorizing about what his parents did or, or what Henry did in a former life, what, what sins he did with his eyes to deserve such things. And here's another group of people 
talking about him, theorizing about his past life, how awful his parents must be, turning him into an object, make, making him something other. And he just wants to scream. I can hear you, you know. I, I'm not deaf. But the standard theories, the obvious stories of past sins, it doesn't come. Nothing, Jesus said. Neither he nor his parents did a thing. So stop it. Stop thinking you understand what's happening here. There's a truer reality at work right here. Let, let me show you what's actually at play. And I wonder if Henry is a little caught up in the moment here, a, a, a little, a little verklempt. He'd never heard anyone say that before. He'd never heard anyone separate out his disability like that, that he nor his parents did anything to cause this, that this is some random fluke and he didn't actually deserve this, that, that no one deserves this. All the times that people spit at him, calling him a piece of dirt, telling him in ignorance how much he deserved this curse, only to hear a stranger stand up for you and say, you don't deserve this. It's so freeing. There's comfort there. Relief. Peace. Standing up for others brings life. It, it brings truth in the face of ignorance, in the face of lies and false narratives. It, it paves a way for freedom, for justice, for peace. A silent peace is no peace at all. It's complicity. Ahmad Arbery, Brianna Taylor, Botham Zhang, Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, Jordan Reed, Jordan Davis, Walter Scott, Sean Bell, Ayanna Jones, Kamani Gray, Amadou Diallo, Freddie Gray, Laquan McDonald, Miriam Carey, Sharonda Singleton, Jordan Baker, Stephen Clark, and so many more. Murdered at the hands of people propagating false narratives, living under the guise of racial folklore. Standing up for others, speaking truth in the face of ignorance, in the face of lies and false narratives, it paves a way for freedom for justice, for peace. A silent peace is no peace at all. It's complicity. And Jesus spits, not at Henry, like he's experienced countless times before. He, he spits onto the ground, into the dirt, and he bends down with his fingers and he begins to stir the two together, making a paste of mud. And with tenderness and gentleness, begins to apply it to Henry's eyes. And for the longest time, I thought, man, this is weird, right? How would Henry have handled this? Just after receiving such a beautiful gift of, of someone finally standing up for him, the guy basically makes some mud out of spit and smears it all over his face. Thanks a lot, jerk. But back in the day, they believed that saliva actually had healing properties. So this wouldn't have been out of the bounds of possibility. Henry wouldn't have been insulted by this. Rather, he, he would have received it as an act of care, of mercy, of grace, of love. Jesus was turning words into action. And I can hear Henry sitting there and, 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 and Jesus kneeling in front of him softly and tenderly rubbing the mud onto Henry's eyes. It's a gift of hope that maybe this will do something special for Henry. You see, no one had ever 
been healed of blindness before. It, it was unheard of throughout the land. And yet here is Jesus stepping into the unknown, into the unbelievable, the unheard of. And I can just imagine him, hear him whispering to Henry as he kneels in front of him. You're going to be okay. I'm here now. I'm with you. I love you. He tells Henry to go and wash it all off in the pool of Siloam. Touches his shoulder for a brief moment. One last act of beautiful comfort. And walks away. Which is interesting, right? I mean, we have no idea how far of a journey this was for Henry. How long he had to walk. Was it a mile away? Two? Did it take him all afternoon to get there? And, and what was he thinking the whole time along the way? Well, if anything, at least I'm going to get to wash this mud off my face. It's getting all dry and crusty. I think Jesus had fish for lunch. He kept going. He kept walking, driven by the love and grace shown to him by Jesus, until he arrived at the pool and washed off the mud, flooded and overwhelmed by the light that entered into his eyes. For the first time in his entire life, Henry could see can you imagine his walk home, seeing everything for the first time? That's what water looks like. Those are trees. The houses, the fruit in the market, the faces of neighbors. Seeing his parents for the very first time. It'd be a beautiful point to end Henry's story here, right? But it doesn't end here. He's forced to confront the fables of karmic understanding, to face his neighbors in the religious establishment, the ones who boxed into their karmic reality to cry, Henry, this isn't possible. You're a sinner. You're dirt. There's no changing your narrative here. It's just not possible. Whatever happened to you, it, it doesn't fit our karmic narrative. You don't deserve to see. All I know, Henry said, I was blind, and now I see. There's a different reality at work here, one that you all just don't want to see, that you're unwilling to see. Karma, whiteness, faulty systems and structures that we've created in our own likeness, created to explain racial folklore and our own reasoned reality. We're unwilling to see them, happy to maintain the status quo. We're unwilling to confront them, satisfied with our silent peace. We're unwilling to move beyond them into the truer reality that's based in the very nature and character of God. A God who reaches out to you and to me. A God who reaches out to your neighbor and roommate. A God who reaches out to your enemy and your friend. A God who sees all as his beloved and calls for us all to see each other as he sees us. It's through the eyes of grace. Grace. Grace is hard. It flies in the face of everything we think we know about how the world should work. And, and I know it's, it's easy to think or see grace standing opposed to justice, that, that the two are somehow opposites, which is why I love that Brennan Manning calls it vulgar. Vulgar grace. It's offensive, isn't it? It flies in the face of our, our logical rationale, mathematical sensibilities. It, it stands opposed to our faulty karmic narrative and, and the systems and structures of oppression we've created for our own privilege and benefit. What you do to one side, you have to do to the other. 
And here is Jesus standing before us saying, no, no you don't. That's just math. That's not our reality, nor our posture towards one another. I love how Henry handles this whole situation. As his parents, his neighbors, he himself are, are dragged in front of the religious leaders. And, and as they continue to demand answers from him about, about how this could happen to a sinner, how something unprecedented and good could happen to someone so undeserving. Henry, Henry points to Jesus. He points to a different reality. Henry says, you're not seeing clearly the systems and structures of oppression you've created and are privileged by. You're not seeing the karmic reality that God is so clearly opposed to. You're not seeing. You are really the blind ones here. You see, there's a new reality, a new sign of life that is unfolded before you that grants the gift of sight so that you may see the world as it truly is, a world of grace, a world that through Jesus seeks to build in love rather than destroy. A true peace, not a silent peace, a, a true peace that confronts and tears down the systems and structures that privilege a select few. There's a new reality. Do you see it? A new reality that calls us to open our eyes and to see with the eyes of Jesus all of the signs of life that are blooming around us. To see, to step in, to spit on the ground and make a healing balm a balm that will continue God's redemptive work of love and healing in God's place, in and through God's name, in God's spirit, continually creating and breathing new life and grace into everything and everyone we touch.